How does failing to have a discipline of joy affect your husband? How is the devil attacking your spouse or using you to hurt him? Well, ladies, happy 2022. We're not taking any breaks. We're diving right in this year. We left off in 2021 talking about how the devil approaches the wife with the intention of corrupting the marriage and thereby both spouses being a strategic and calculated move that he repeats with each and every single one of us. And that started with Adam and Eve. But that doesn't mean that your husband isn't also being attacked. Today we're going to begin to look at the pincer movement that the devil employs. So we're going to be talking about how we're attacked as wives and then how our husband is attacked and look at how those attacks work in conjunction with each other and play off of each other to create vicious cycles. When negative cycles are created, what results is a culture. Instead of one instance of something negative, once you have a negative cycle, the cycle keeps repeating and repeating, and that's how you live day in and day out. It becomes your norm. And once you have a norm, you have your culture, the culture in which your marriage is either thriving or dying. So understand this, a marriage with positive cultures, with positive cycles as the norm, can withstand occasional negative incidents. However, a marriage with negative cultures, with negative cycles as the norm, will not survive with only occasional positive incidents. And by survive, I don't mean that couples with negative cultures will necessarily seek divorce but that they will check out of their marriage. Even if they choose to stick together out of embarrassment or for the kids or finances or whatever reason, they're likely living as roommates and probably roommates who avoid each other as much as possible and just kind of have their separate lives while sharing a living space and the last name, but not actually availing themselves of the sacramental graces of marriage by engaging in those activities proper to married couples. And I'm not just talking about the conjugal act. What's proper to married couples is being one flesh. And that also means being one in heart and mind as well as body. There is so much grace when your heart is laid bare to your spouse. There's so much grace when your mind is an open book to your spouse. It's not just about the conjugal act, although you can't skimp on that either. Okay, so when you have spouses that are checked out of their marriage, even if they haven't physically separated, I consider that a marriage which has not survived and is not surviving because they're not acting married. They might as well be college roommates. It wouldn't look any different. I hope that makes sense. So let's start off with a quick recap of our 2021 pedagogy. In our first four episodes, we dove into woman's place in creation and touched briefly on some fundamentals regarding our role as wives, on the nuance of our task to bring our husband to heaven while remaining cognizant 
of his authority over us as head of the household. Very nuanced task, the template for which we take directly from God, from how God operates and helps our husbands. From there, we spent episodes five and six laying out the case for grace, challenging our understanding of grace, emphasizing how desperately we need grace to do anything good, and looking to the words of saints and popes and sacred scripture to help us understand the external indicator of grace, which is joy. Also establishing then that the opposite is true and therefore equally important to recognize that joylessness is an indicator of a depletion of grace. In episodes seven and eight, we looked to the example given by consecrated religious to teach us the importance and validity of recreational rest from which we draw so much joy, thereby increasing our store of grace. We talked about practical methods for developing a discipline of joy. In episode nine, we talked about another aspect of the discipline of joy, aside from recreational rest, whereby we discipline ourselves to be more and more aware of God's blessings, of his hand in our lives, and to take stock of our blessings daily and express gratitude for them. Then in episodes 10, 14, 15, and 16, we start deep diving into the practice of taking radical responsibility for our own actions and to stop trying to control others, specifically our husband. So now let's start looking at the attacks that come when we start to develop and implement these disciplines. You see, it should, it should be obvious <laughs> that it's utterly priceless and absolutely essential to strive to be ever more firmly and deeply rooted in grace, right? It should be obvious. It should be obvious that it's priceless to be more firmly and more deeply rooted in joy. We should not prefer to be joyless. We ought to prefer being joy-filled, being joyful. But amazingly, (laughs) this is how the devil works, that some of us prefer to be miserable. That's the temptation. Isn't that sad? Because you can choose joy. You have the capacity to discipline yourself, to choose it, to choose it daily. And so the most frequent and common objection to a discipline of joy is in essence an objection to having to do any work with regards to reaching for God's grace. Our objections amount to wanting him to take the work of responding to his grace away. Our objections amount to wanting him to just fill us up without having to do anything to actively receive him. We're very allergic to work, aren't we? We're so allergic to it that we prefer to be lazy and miserable rather than be disciplined and joyful. Isn't that terrible? That's an attack of the devil, making us allergic to the work of responding to God's grace. And the same goes for a discipline of gratitude. I saw a great quote from social media Um, from one Amy Collette, whom I frankly know nothing about, but I love the quote because it's true. She says, quote, gratitude is a powerful catalyst for happiness. It's the spark that lights a fire of joy in your soul, end quote. Now, again, I, I know nothing about this woman. I don't know if she's Christian or Catholic or what she understands the soul to be, 
Regardless, this quote rings true because having a discipline of gratitude is having a discipline of recognizing God's countless blessings. And again, it should be obvious how essential it is for us to be rooted firmly in a daily practice of gratitude. But some people prefer to ignore the many blessings because then you don't feel like you have to do anything to deserve them. It's very interesting. Even though there is nothing we can do to deserve God's blessings, we are heavily motivated by a desire to be deserving of them when we identify them, when we recognize them. And we know this. We know instinctively both how undeserving we are and also how motivated we are by gratitude. So we deliberately avoid recognizing his blessings in order to avoid being burdened by this motivation, by this feeling of needing to be good enough of a person to deserve the blessings we've already received. Once again, we're that allergic to work, to the work of responding to God's grace. When we begin to implement a discipline of joy, there's a domino effect that takes place. So God's free invitation and gift of grace demands our active response. Actively responding to God's grace fills us with joy. When we're joy-filled, we're both better able and better willing to serve. When we're joy-filled, we're also more naturally inclined to be grateful, and we find it easier to see blessings everywhere. When we're grateful, we're motivated to do more good. The more good that we do, the more aware we become of where we haven't been doing good. And we start taking more radical responsibility for ourself and our actions. When we start taking radical responsibility for ourselves, we realize that we have plenty to work on and we stop pointing fingers and allowing ourselves to be distracted by the things we cannot control, namely the choices and actions of others, because we're so focused on working on ourself, recognizing that ourself is the only thing we can actually work on, that we can actually change. Now, anyone can take these steps, but why is it especially important for us as wives to make these changes in our lives and to have these disciplines? Well, in answering this question and in beginning to look at the concurrent attacks taking place on our husbands, I'm going to be sharing and commenting on some quotes from John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And I want to highlight for you that I deliberately chose to quote from a book written by a man. So this is this is not a woman guessing what goes on in men's heads or projecting her emotions and fears and hopes or anything onto men. This is a man laying it out as clearly as he possibly can for women to understand. And that should be something which we consider to be extremely valuable. The first quote that I want to share with you is, quote, just as women are afraid of receiving Men are afraid of giving, end quote. 
Now we haven't talked much about receptivity as women, and so we're going to breeze past the first part of that quote. We will talk in depth about this womanly call to be receptive and our fears and mental blockers surrounding receiving, probably sometime later this month. Um, but for this episode, I want you to focus on the second part of that quote. Quote, men are afraid of giving, end quote. Ladies, this is essential to understand. Men like being able to contribute to their wife's happiness, but they do not want to be solely responsible for it. Interestingly, however, when the wife is not happy at home, the men take it very personally. And by taking it so personally, they are making themselves solely responsible for their wives happiness. Two more quotes here from John Gray. Quote, he experiences his partner's fulfillment as if it were his own. End quote. And quote, when she is upset out of respect, he will leave her alone. End quote. That they take it so personally indicates the weight of the responsibility that they feel and that they put on themselves regarding their wife's happiness. And ladies, let's, let's step away from the reasons for your unhappiness for just a bit, please. Because I realize that many of you who are listening are hearing this and thinking, well, he is the reason that I'm unhappy. Okay. Please, you are an adult. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that you are quite capable of putting yourself outside of the situation for just a few minutes and make an honest effort to understand this intellectually apart from your personal experience, okay? So men take it very personally when their wives are not happy. Another quote from this book, again, this is from John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Might as well spotlight this somewhere down the road. Um, quote, a man's deepest fear is that he is not good enough or that he is incompetent. End quote. What happens when a wife is not happy? This. Exactly this. The attack from the devil comes in the form of a knee-jerk reaction which, whether consciously or subconsciously for the guy, is to immediately assume that his wife's happiness is tied to some incompetence on his part. And again, if you're thinking to yourself, yes, that's exactly what's going on. I'm furious because he's so stupid. Please step out of that for a bit so that you can follow this because you need to understand. John Gray says, quote, a man appears most uncaring when he is afraid. Ironically, when a man really cares a lot, his fear of failure increases and he gives less, end quote. At the beginning of your relationship, where you were eager to show that you were pleased with your, with your man, because that's how every couple is at the beginning of their relationship. When you first start dating, you're eager to be pleased at anything and everything. When you're in that phase of being eager to present yourself as pleasable, the guy who is now your husband probably went out of his way to try to do more and more to please you. And eventually you were so pleased and convinced by being so pleased 
that you said yes to marrying him. If you are currently in a place in your marriage where you are angry because it seems like your husband no longer does anything with the thought of pleasing you, ask yourself how eager you are to be pleased now compared to at the beginning of your relationship. Chances are if you are in this place where you feel as if your happiness is the last thing on his mind, I'm willing to bet that you haven't been very easy to please lately in stark comparison to when you started dating. And the thing is this that 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 doesn't happen overnight. You have to understand this ladies. You didn't you didn't just wake up one morning and decide that you were going to stop being pleasable. What happened was that you started noticing his faults. Not because he didn't have them before, but because that's what happens when you live with someone. Their faults start coming to the forefront because you deal with them daily. They can't hide. And really, it's, it's not about spite, ladies. Some of you think that your husband is now not putting his best foot forward out of spite. And that's not it at all. What's actually demonstrated by someone allowing their faults to be seen is a higher level of comfort and trust. A trust that the other person will be able to look past those faults and love them still. That's what he asked you to do when he asked you to marry him. And that's what you vowed to do at the altar. And if you're now acting angry that your man is so faulty, from his perspective, what he's discovering is that you didn't mean your vows at all and that you were expecting perfection. And he knows he can't deliver that. And so as it became apparent to your husband that you were finding more and more to be upset about rather than happy about, he started to retreat. Again, the devil attacks. He feeds on the fear within the man that he is so incompetent. And he tells your husband that there's no way he can win. There's no way he can turn this around. So your husband, he starts to clam up to hide, to put space between the two of you. Because the fact that you weren't happy hurt. It hurt him to the core. As you focused less on being eager to be pleased and focused more on how upset you were by his faults, he retreated further and further. And eventually where you can potentially get to is a place where the message he gets day in and day out is that nothing he does will ever please you. So he stops trying altogether. The devil doesn't even have to attack at this point because you're doing all the work for him. But again, this does not happen overnight. So what does a discipline of joy do to combat the situation developing or to remedy a negative culture which has developed over the years? Well, first of all, a discipline of joy does fill you up with grace, right? And you need grace to look beyond your husband's faults. He has faults. We are not saying that he's perfect. We are saying that you vowed to not get stuck on those faults. You need grace to live out your vows. And then also the discipline of joy does two other things. Firstly, it brings to the forefront of your mind the reality that your happiness is not and ought not 
be entirely dependent on your husband. We have talked about this before. Making your husband the center of your happiness is actually idolization. God is, or he ought to be, the center of your happiness, of your joy. And therefore, because God is and always has been and always will be, you will never have any valid excuse to not be joyful because God is. Therefore, you have a reason to be joyful. When you put your husband at the center of your happiness, you put him on a pedestal. You idolize him. You place him above God. And secondly, when you have a discipline of joy, which must, in order to be a true discipline, be inherently independent of your spouse and his behavior, your spouse is then given the space that he needs to try or keep trying to please you or to try to start pleasing you again. When he's bogged down by your unhappiness, which elicits this fear regarding his incompetence, that fear will reach a point where it incapacitates him and he avoids you. Maybe you're already there. When you have a discipline of joy, when you are joy-filled, what it does for your husband is that it gives him a steady, constant hope that in spite of his faults, he might still be able to do good. He might still be able to do things which make you happy. You do want that, right? Your efforts to implement a discipline of joy can work as a shield against the devil's attacks on your husband, against the devil preying on your husband's fears. Now, it's not a guarantee. I said that it can work, not that it will work. It, But it wasn't a guarantee that Adam would be corrupted if the devil approached Eve. It was just a high possibility, a high likelihood. That's why the devil did it. In the same way, this isn't a guarantee, but there is a high possibility, a high likelihood, that when a wife puts up a fight against that strategic calculated move of the devil to attempt to corrupt both spouses by approaching the wife, that you may be able to protect both of you, that you may be able to act as a shield for your husband. What a privilege is helpmate. And this is consistent with the application of the word Azer that we talked about in episode two. Again, this was only applied to two persons, God and woman. But the word is also used with military applications. This is incredible. And as a side note, uh, Father Mike Schmitz just gave a very brief commentary on the use of Azer in the Bible uh, in the podcast episode that he released yesterday, day one of the 2022 Bible in a Year podcast, which we've linked to in our podcast description for this week. So check that out, as well as our second episode, if you need a refresher on that term. Next quote from John Gray, quote, men are motivated and empowered when they feel needed, end quote. When you are joy-filled, you are more naturally inclined to be grateful, right? You find it easier when you're joyful to see God's countless blessings. And that in conjunction with having the grace and the discipline to look past your husband's faults enables you to appreciate your husband. When a man feels appreciated, he looks for more things to do to keep being appreciated. Does it seem like your husband cares more about pleasing his boss than about pleasing you? 
Or maybe, big ouch, he goes out of his way to please a female friend or coworker more than he does for you. If you are in that situation, ask yourself if that boss or that female friend or coworker is more appreciative of your husband than you are. Chances are, if he goes out of his way to make them happy, it's because he feels needed and appreciated by them over you. The appreciation is key, and I point that out because many of you are thinking, but I tell him all the time that I need him to do this and that and step up in this way or that way. Okay. Can I ask, how are you telling him that? Are you telling him in a way that emphasizes how short he falls in your eyes? Are you telling him in a way that makes it seem like he has a long way to go before he can hope to truly deserve your gratitude? Are you telling him in a way that makes it seem like nothing he's doing currently is appreciated? John Gray explains, quote, Men are primarily motivated by being needed, but are turned off by neediness. Needing is openly reaching out and asking for support from a man in a trusting manner one that assumes he will do his best. This empowers him. Neediness, however, is desperately needing support because you don't trust you will get it. It pushes men away and makes them feel rejected and unappreciated. End quote. And also a second quote. Quote, to become motivated again, he needs to feel appreciated, trusted, and accepted." End quote. If you want your husband to hear that you need him, you have to be coming from a place of appreciating where he is currently and what he already does. This is what the discipline of gratitude, of taking daily stock of your blessings, will accomplish. If you are serious about implementing this discipline, God's grace working within you will not allow you to overlook where your husband is succeeding, where your husband does deserve appreciation, no matter how small. And in your joy and your heart overflowing with gratitude, you will form a holy desire to make sure your husband knows how appreciated he is for those small things. You won't be able to help it if you are truly responding to God's grace. So again, what can happen, it's not a guarantee, but what can happen, it's what you can accomplish as helpmate, is that when your husband feels secure in your appreciation, he will feel equipped by that appreciation to go out of his way to do more because he desires to continue to feel needed. And you are demonstrating that he can trust you to see him, to see his efforts. You are giving him proof that you can meet his need to feel seen. That's why he asked you to marry him in the first place, because he felt that you saw him. He felt that out of everyone in this entire world, that out of all the women he had ever come into contact with, that you saw him. He put his trust in that. 
And that need to be seen, that desire to be seen, did not go away once you got married. It increased. He needed you to keep seeing him. The discipline of gratitude will enable you to meet that need. Right, we're going to pause here for this week. Hopefully that's plenty to chew on for the upcoming week. Recognize the devil's attacks in making you so allergic to the work of responding to God's grace. And ask yourself how much you want the benefits of fighting those attacks. Do you want to be joy-filled? Do you want your heart to be overflowing with gratitude? If the answer is no, there's a problem. And then, do you want your husband to do things to please you? Do you want your husband to hear that he is needed? If yes, do you want those things badly enough to implement disciplines of joy and gratitude? So again, if you don't feel that you want them badly enough, could you ask yourself why not and come up with a truly honest answer? Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.